I think going forward, there's a lot that the arts can do. Um, philosophically, art is one of the only places <laughs> that we can still ask these questions, play out um, politics and negotiate ideas um, further. Um, art isn't about communicating, um, you know, climate uh, disaster. Art is about creating space for people to think through some of these issues. Another episode of the Conscient Podcast. I'm with Marty Badham, who is a Canadian who lives been living in Australia for a long time. Good morning, Marty. Good morning, Claude. Great to hear you. Yeah, well, we've known each other for a long time. You were at Commonweal Community Arts in Regina when I was at the Canada Council. But we also had many uh, exchanges over the years about community-engaged arts. And when I was in Australia, you helped me there. And so it's nice to reconnect. And, and you sent me some of your work. And I'm really fascinated by the research you're doing. And there's not enough time to cover all the ground. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start uh, by asking you to introduce yourself, just to give us a brief idea of your background and what you do, and and then we'll jump into the the topic of reality and ecological grief. So, Marnie, who are you? Sounds great. Well, we've, before we begin, um, I'll say that I'm an uninvited guest on the unceded lands of the Bunurong peoples here in the Eastern Kulin Nation. So that is in Elwood in Australia, in Melbourne, otherwise known as NARM. And um, uh, yeah, I want to acknowledge elders past and present, as well as future on the unceded lands, which I'm calling in from today. Sorry, I should do the same here. I, I'm on uh, unceded Algonquin Anishinaabe uh, territory, which uh, here in Ottawa. So thank you for doing that. Uh, we should always do that. Thank you. Absolutely. And as I said, I'm an uninvited guest, which means um, I've, uh, I'm a visitor to Australia, and I'm originally from near Treaty 4, which are the lands of Cree, Lakota, Dakota, Nakota, and of course the Métis Nation. Um, that's where I grew up until, I think, yeah, until I was in my early 30s when I came to Australia. And um, I guess I, I describe myself in a range of different ways. So it sort of depends on where I am, what I'm doing, and who I'm talking to. So a little bit of a shape shifter um, in terms of different roles that I've held. But um, ultimately, I'm uh, currently calling myself um, sort of an artist researcher in the way that um, I think about um, engaging with you know, questions and people in the world. Um, um, from from a creative perspective, um, but um, my work is often described as socially engaged art. Well, I saw on your uh, website you talk about the intersection of social engaged art, participatory methodologies, and the politics of measurement, which are all fun things for me <laughs> because <laughs> they they do cross, and, and they're all very important in in the sort of arts and cultural world uh, in terms of policy and theory and. Um, intellectual pursuits, but also in very grounded practices. So um, speaking of grounding, um, what is reality to you? Yeah, I don't really know. I think um, I, don't, I think as an, as an artist, I'm always interested in um, the idea of like futures and future imaginaries and thinking about art as actually a place um, 
where questions and politics and relationships can be played out. Um, when I think, you know, more practically about the concept of reality is, um, um, I guess I'd say, like, more recently through the pandemic, and as you know, um, Melbourne had a series of um, public health uh, restrictions, so there was a lot of staying at home. And for me, as a person who lives by themselves, and who's actually quite used to um, working transnationally, um, so, you know, zipping around the globe in different um, unsustainable ways, it was a really excellent um, exercise in reality, in thinking about and reflecting on self, reflecting on place, and very much engaging in nature. It's the first time I've actually done any serious gardening, let alone um, purposeful uh, walking and meditation, which um, wasn't about getting from one place to the other. It was actually about spending time with self in place and, and being able to think through some of these um, bigger questions that we may um, avoid in our busy day-to-day -day lives. Well, the reason I brought it up as one of the themes of this season is is that I'm going through a process of accepting certain realities, but I'm also interested in not just the scientific reality, but uh, the types of realities or or types of uh, views of the world that might be alternative or interpretive or, like you say, futuristic, uh, speculative. The, the, those are all, and, and I've had some, some, so many interesting answers to that question about how do people perceive and accept uh, different types of realities. So it's, it's been very helpful, and I want to move on to action, but I, I needed to kind of work through that, and, and I'm getting there little by little. And what about ecological grief? Is that something that you've had experience with uh, as an academic or, or uh, in your own life? I think I first experienced ecolo uh, ecological grief uh, personally was last year, actually. Um, and like I said, um, as a person who lives in another country with family in Canada, with a lifestyle that was typically um, not grounded in place in the same way um, that many um, people have, my grief was actually about recognizing limitations of um, my own sort of lifestyle. But I think I was first introduced um, not in these exact terms, but to the idea of ecological grief in terms of thinking about um, land, um, land custodianship, ownership, colonization. And I've been very fortunate to have a number of colleagues, friends and teachers um, who um, work through indigenous ways of knowing 
um, and have I've learned a lot um, directly and indirectly about the connection of culture to land. And, you know, coming from Saskatchewan and then also, you know, living in Australia, we have um, overly dependent, we have an over-dependency on uh, economic connection to natural resources. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of how to live a sustainable life and, and how a culture can have a sustainable future as well. And the grief for me, I guess, comes in that um, uh, as an individual, we don't often feel we have the agency to affect that sort of change, um, which is why I do a lot of collective work, both you know, in the art world, politically, even research collaborations as well. So that idea of um, sort of staying with that trouble, I guess you could say, to quote Donna Haraway, um, uh, and to do it with friends. Um, so we've been hosting over um, over lockdowns, like a series of reading groups and, and things like that to share this space um, because it's really about, I guess, realizing that, you know, we don't know it all. <laughs> we actually need to unlearn a lot of, a lot of the things that we thought we knew very well. Public Policy Professor Eric Beinhocker. Humankind is in a race between two tipping points. The first is when the Earth's ecosystems and the life they contain tip into irreversible collapse due to climate change. The second is when the fight for climate action tips from being just one of many political concerns to becoming a mass social movement. The existential question is, which tipping point will we hit first? Well, let's uh, move on to your work. There's, there's different branches, as you say, your your uh, polyvalent, we would say in French. Um, so where to start? I, I know your work from community-engaged um, practices and research and theory, but uh, we were just talking earlier about the connection between environmental activism and, and community-engaged arts and, and the larger social uh, uh, work around social change. So maybe you can just jump in and, and tell us about some of your research and how it might relate to, say, the ecological crisis? Yeah, sure. That's a big question. I'm actually not sure where to jump in. Um, I mean, I could probably 
think about how I got started and, and why I was interested in doing research. And so, as you know, I was working with Commonweal Community Arts in Saskatchewan for um, many years, um, uh, working with incredible colleagues and um, doing some really interesting work, supporting artists to work um, often in non-art contexts and thinking about the role of art in social change. Um, so whether it was artists working in hospitals or prisons or in community with young people, with older people, so on and what have you. Um, I used to think a lot about this idea of, you know, community-engaged arts. Was it actually about engagement? Um, what I've realized since is my interest in working with people that are unlike me. So it's about collaboration. And my sort of focus is actually about bringing often disparate ideas and people together to look at particular issues, social, environmental, cultural issues, uh, local or global, um, to, to work through both understandings, you know, within that space, but also um, to do things together to forge those relationships and, and realize ideas through aesthetics or other, you know, through art making. Um, so it's really about, you know, collectivity, collaboration, and um, individual contributions to projects. Um, so when I came to Australia, I was very much interested in the sort of question of, you know, if we're working towards social change, you know, whose change, are, you know, is this and how do we know we're achieving it? And I still haven't answered that question other than the fact that it's not my job to place value on um, other people's cultural activities or, or expressions through art. Um, so I guess, you know, back to the reality question is that, you know, there's, there's multiple realities. And there's, we need to have a pluralist understanding of, of what's important to people. So just because I can't understand other ways of knowing doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, so that sort of reality of understanding, I guess, pluralism, which is a difficult thing um, to enact into, you know, political systems like, like democracy and things like this. But um, I guess I've had the privilege of, of learning a lot um, in terms of sort of intercultural uh, capabilities um, in, in Canada with um, uh, generosity and invitation of First Nations communities, but also in Australia, um, similarly uh, with First Nations community, but also in this region, sort of the Asia Pacific region. So we have a lot of um, international students from Southeast Asia as well, China, Indonesia, and whatnot. So starting to understand um, a little more about how other people see the world, and in particular in my area, supporting those students or communities to, to make work, to question, to resolve some of their ideas around um, art and public space primarily is where I'm working, um, which obviously has strong connections to environmental issues. Well, the, the word, the, I read one piece about residencies that I found really interesting because um, one of the, the issues that I'm working on is, is sort of the role of the arts. I mean, I, we all know that the arts play an important role in our lives because we sing songs and we read books and everything. And we engage in conversations. But um, it was interesting that you, you would put your finger on, the, on the, the process of engagement when somebody is outside of their uh, 
comfort zone or outside of their home. So maybe you could talk about that specific piece of research because it kind of triggered a thought in me about that we do a lot of residencies in the sense that we are often going somewhere else to get stimulated or to collaborate. But there's it's fraught with issues, right? You bring your baggage with you, and and you know there there's certainly things to be aware of when you go into someone else's spaces, even if you're invited. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I started. Excuse me. Um, I started researching socially engaged artist residencies as an extension, I guess, to critically reflect on my own practices of working in and with communities. Um, And I really started from a position of critique, actually. So, you know, questions around carbon footprints of um, travel to sort of far flung um, places, but also the unintended colonial consequences um, of going into a community that's not your own um, and all of the cultural complexity um, that can happen even like you say when there is an invitation or reciprocity collaboration in that work Um, it's complicated work and so I started writing this book before lockdown and I had sort of built this structure about, you know, looking at the transnational artist and frameworks of international development or contemporary art and worked through a range of different models around, you know, why hosts want to, which might be in institutions or it might be communities, want artists to come and work in their community. So I was looking at um, the lovely, um, St. Peter's Abbey at uh, Munster, Saskatchewan, uh, Benedictine Monastery, who host artists and writers, and wondering like, why do they want artists to come and spend time there? The artists end up, um, you know, creating incredible work, strong networks amongst each other, but also participating in the community, perhaps, you know, um, helping in the organic garden, going for long walks, those sorts of things. and um, Abbot Peter actually said to me, who was sort of the host for that, he said, well, why wouldn't we want artists to be here? We have something that's beautiful and we want to share it, right? So that's one of those values around art, right? So that's the autonomy of art. That's the sort of question around beauty. But then there's a lot of other reasons why institutions want artists to work within communities. And it could be a gallery, a local government, a whole range of organizations who will host artists. Um, And it's about, you know, engagement. And sometimes with um, communities that don't have access to the arts or public life in general, um, to be able to engage people in their local place and ideas. But then, of course, there's the other approach where artists are creating opportunities and collaborations themselves and bringing institutional support or or whatnot. So this sort of artist-led collaboration is really interesting to me. And more and more, we're seeing themes around um, environmental concern, collapse, and anxiety come out through these collective residency activities. Um, I was thinking recently about Um, one residency I went on, which was called Time, Place, Space. And so it's through um, Arts House in Melbourne and a number of other um, uh, partners. But basically, you know, a group of artists go out and camp for 10 days, exchange practices and explore these big questions without 
you know, the facilities, the gallery, the, the theater, the stage without audience as well. So more and more we're seeing artists working in these collective ways to start to kind of question these, these, these big issues. Um, but the book actually um, came to a conclusion in thinking about artists that are now um, leaving the big cities and stopping travel, not wanting to be what we call the FIFO worker here in Australia, where one goes into a community um, to mine iron ore and then takes that value out of the community leaving very little behind sometimes just a big hole if you know what I mean and um, so the conclusion of the book is thinking about artists connecting within their own communities and spaces and this sort of um, leaning towards local vorism so you see artists working in kind of working in collaboration in their own communities with traditional custodians working on permaculture projects, working on, you know, really interesting things at neighborhood houses and, and whatnot, sort of back to, back to the old days where that sort of creative organizing of, um, you know, community arts and cultural development. But, you know, at the same time, those artists can work autonomously, uh, autonomously in, the, in their own practices. So um, it was interesting timing to think through these questions because during the pandemic, I had a moment of, oh, does this even matter? Um, like, you know, all this thinking about value and policy and practices, does it even matter? Like, you know, people are um, unwell and, and dying, you know, communities are collapsing. And it actually made me realize this sort of commitment to the local um, is more and more important in, in our practices, I think. Um, to be able to situate self within that sort of social and that soil. Well, it's not a new idea, of course, but uh, no. we have, we have because we could, traveled a lot, and I suspect we're going to travel less for ethical reasons and also just um, uh, barriers around health and whatever. But I, I'm interested in the idea of, of community-engaged arts becoming more of a of a common practice uh, across the board in the arts, because there are different schools of thought. There are those who will say that it's a specialized practice that requires, you know, very uh, particular training and showing to be done under certain conditions with certain professionals, you know, and, and I can see why, because if you're working with say a group of youth or on a complex issue, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, land rights or something like that, you'd want to do that. On the other hand, uh, there, there's talk that uh, the arts need to engage more with community and there's so many different ways of doing it. So, so many different levels of, of, uh, in the toolkit, so to speak. So where, where do we fall on that? Do we, do we, is there a sense that, that this is an open toolbox for anybody to use or, or is it more specialized practice because of the particular uh, relationships that need to be developed? Uh, I, I know this is a big topic, but I, my listeners might not be very familiar with community-engaged arts or participatory arts. And, and I, I've always been fascinated by them because I've seen great results. I saw when you were at uh, Commonweal with uh, a project in the, in the um, Grasslands Park, you know, how powerful and how it stays with you and how when you're involved in a artwork you're it's much it's different than being passive you know so i know i i'm, I'm asking a lot of you here but but could you just uh, uh give insights on 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 how that 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 toolkit of community engaged arts which is now 30 40 years old could be used 
by uh, non-specialized artists to work on social issues like uh, the just transition, the ecological crisis, and that kind of thing. That's a big. That's a big question. Yeah, um, they're all big questions. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, these are these are the questions that we you know grapple with through teaching. So, as I mentioned before. Um, I'm, you know, a researcher. I'm currently um, working as a research fellow and senior lecturer at RMIT University in Melbourne. And um, yeah, there's a whole there's a whole range of practices which are, I guess, distinct within the field. Um, so you know, you've sort of set up this binary of um, is it yeah, a creative method or is it an artistic, like is it a creative method for engagement or is it actually an art artistic practice that requires particular skills? Um, I mean, there's a lot of debate in the field, as you know, um, but one thing that we do know is that socially engaged art, which includes artists, um, uh, requires a certain amount of skills and attention to aesthetics, um, which is, you know, driven as an extension of one's own practice. They may have a number of facilitative tools with a community, but um, it is all driven by a particular set of ethics. So unlike other disciplines, it's not about how the paint works with the canvas or necessarily, um, you know, color theory. Um, it may include some of those methods if the artist um, comes from that sort of visual ontology. But as you know, there's a lot of community engaged or socially engaged practice that comes out of um, uh, theater or performance trajectories as well. So on the other scale, you know, we can look at community-based arts as actually coming out of a history you know, history of, you know, from the 60s and 70s of community organizing, um, around the environment, around um, gender, around cultural identity, identity politics and whatnot. And there's, you know, the workers theater in Australia, in Australia, the disability arts movement across many parts of the world. Uh, the example I often use is like Chicano um, Mexican artist murals. Um, there's, there's all of these sorts of overlapping um, movements where artists were engaged in um, opening up broader dialogue. So these were sort of politically motivated approaches. Then, you know, coming after that and definitely overlapped as well, many, um, many Western governments um, decided that art and culture was a public good. And there was a move for access to the arts, which was sort of the advent of you know, children's festivals and community arts engagement, um, finding ways for larger institutions to open up their audiences as well through, you know, subsidized, you know, tickets and things like that. But this sort of second phase around like what I'm calling community engaged arts um, was not so much about those different voices um, creating artworks, but they were more a part of something, which was a bit of a institutional drive. And then more recently, we still have all of these other movements happening, but there has been um, a take up of socially engaged and 
community-engaged arts back into the institution. So it's only in the last few years where I've been curating exhibitions or making art in an institutional framework. Like it used to be back alleys, neighborhood centers, prisons. Um, but now the institutions are actually seeing the value in these works. Like you look at the, the Blake Prize um, uh, shortlist this year, they're all collectives and socially engaged artists. Whereas, you know, up until five years ago, it was painters and sculptors. So there's this shift in the contemporary art world as well to embrace art and social practice. So there's a lot of different theoretical frames that you can look at. Um, and not to overcomplicate it, but I guess what it means is that it's a really diverse, active and alive field where it's constantly, you know, critiquing itself and, and making sense in, in new ways. Well, what I've noticed is that there are more and more artists uh, interested in uh, engaging with the climate crisis uh, in different ways. Some are actually creating tools for measurement. There's a project uh, based on Julie's Bicycles tools that um, called Creative Green here in, in Canada. That's a, a good thing because then organizations will be able to measure their footprint. This has little to do with art practice. This has to do with just operations. But somehow the idea of engaging with uh, with your own with your own behavior, <laughs> like your own footprint as an artist, your own community, uh, and, and as artists are looking how they can... Um, uh, contribute and 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 be part of uh, of the solution in a way. Uh, I'm finding there's a tremendous variety of approaches, and, and some are doing it through their art practice, and and others are doing it um, by uh, citizen engagement, like literally uh, getting people together to talk about the issue. But their art is still in there because they're coming from art practice, right? So I'm kind of mapping out, and and I know you you do this as well, mapping out the different ways that artists are working and what are the gaps. Uh, sometimes it's a funding gap. Sometimes it's a knowledge gap. Sometimes it's a mentorship gap. Uh, I know that uh, Judith Marcuse and uh, uh, colleagues in Vancouver are doing really good work around that. So right now I'm feeling pressure, and I think we all are, to deal with the climate emergency because if we don't, there are consequences that are unbearable. And then looking at the role of the arts. So I guess that's my question is at this point today, uh, what do you see some of the gaps or some of the barriers for the arts, regardless whether they're community or social engaged or not? Because uh, broadly, uh, what are some of the things that the arts uh, could do more of and what are some of the barriers or, or things that we, we need to address to get there? Writer Robin Wall Kimmerer. The land is the real teacher. All we need as students is mindfulness.
Sure. I think, you know, if we're thinking about mapping, I think there's probably three angles on it. And the first would be um, institutional responsibility. So like you're saying, you know, mapping carbon footprint, but the amount of waste that goes into um, shows and transport for exhibitions, things like that, um, because of material practice um, has to be rethought and reconfigured. Um, really, really brief example for you. Um, I'm working with a group of students, master's students in Melbourne, Japan, Hong Kong, and China to create artworks for a public art festival at a place called Wanio Island, which is um, five hours off the uh, coast of Shanghai. And the island is a very small island with about 500 people that live there, over 60, um, with a sort of fisherman's culture. Now, um, the local government is working on some new redevelopment and thinking about the potential for cultural tourism, which is why they're creating this public art festival. So, you know, super interesting in terms of how do you create artwork for sight unseen and all those sorts of things. But our students are telling us, you know, we don't want to fabricate something large that'll have an impact on that island. We want to create works um, that are more ephemeral. We want to create works that can be um, made from materials that can be reused um, or from existing materials that are in place. So artists, young artists, are, are thinking very differently about how they make work as opposed to um, some of us old school folk or even commissioners who are funding and supporting this type of work, thinking about sustainability and the challenges of gentrification all kind of combined up. So the first kind of area I'm saying is, you know, institutions need to have that filter, right? Like we used to talk about the triple bottom line, you know, economic, social, cultural. Now we need, you know, environmental in a very big way. I think the second area is is really about um, you know artists actually just thinking in a very different way, which is this sort of broader ecological focused. So understanding the relationship between the environment, culture, the social, and the economic that it's not a separate thing. It's not about making art about the environment. Um, I don't think it's a discrete discipline, like environmental art. Um, you know, some people would argue with me that, that it isn't, but it's the same thing with, you know, socially engaged art or environmental art. It's all art with different methods and modes. And then finally, um, you're right. I think the real gap is around training and support and mentorship because, like with the socially engaged art practice, even you know back in Saskatchewan, I remember a number of young artists wanting to work um, in communities not their own or in prisons and things like that. And you know we don't send them off to art school; we send them off with senior artists who have done this work over a very long time, and you know the support and relationships they can have, rather than. Um, making uh it's not it's not that we don't want people to make mistakes because that's actually quite productive but when there's too much at stake which is community or the environment um we need to be able to support um people to move into those areas when they're new i guess you'd say 
So, yeah, I think going forward, there's a lot that the arts can do. Um, philosophically, art is one of the only places that we can still ask these questions, play out um, politics and negotiate ideas um, further. Um, art isn't about communicating, um, you know, climate uh, disaster. Art is about creating space for people to think through some of these issues. And to feel the, uh, feel a lot of things, uh, each other's emotions, the, to the, to put yourself in the place of the other and the other can be a, another living being like a tree or a bird. And, and that sounds, you know, a little esoteric, but I, I've experienced that kind of sensitivity in the sense that when you just kind of take away the barriers and you see what's really going on is that, is that we're living in a way that's disrespectful of our peers who are all people and, and, and we can change our behavior. If you just kind of wake up to, to what you've been learned, what you've been taught to how you've been taught to live. And this whole content podcast is a re-education for me. That's why I appreciate talking to you and others. It's, 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 it helps me and it hopefully helps others break out of some of the molds that we've fallen into, you know, oh, that doesn't seem possible or, you know, we can't do that. Well, why couldn't we? <laughs> why, and, and there's, Absolutely. go ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. I was just going to say, you know, we don't need to extend ideas from, you know, romanticism where it was, you know, man versus nature. Like now we understand through post-humanism and affect theory and, and other ideas that we are nature. Um, and we need to be in good relations with our um, more than human companions, I guess one could say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're almost done, but is there anything else, Marnie, that uh, you wanted to say or that we haven't covered that would be important for our listeners to know about in your universe? <laughs> so many things. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's a great place to end, actually, Claude. Um, you and I could talk for um, weeks, actually. So it's been really lovely to reconnect, and I hope to continue this conversation into the future. Well, I think we will, and especially around, especially, you know, you and Jen Ray, who I also interviewed, and um, other Canadians living abroad, okay. there's an interesting connection there between what you know about Canada and then what you're learning and then those those connections uh, I think will be all the more valuable as we go forward. So thank you very much, Marnie, and we will talk again. Great. Thanks, Claude.